as you can to distort God's image and his value and his character. Mm-hmm. And it really is becoming even more evident around us. Yeah. That it's there. And it's like, I'm looking forward, like, how do we hold to this truth now? Yeah. And we'll just stand for a minute. Yeah, Satan is a great deceiver, and sometimes we think deception can be seen. I mean, with the word, it can be, but it's called deception because it is hidden, it is insidious. And yeah, we're reading this book right now, Jody and I, and, and he talks even within yourself how within the fallen nature you can, you're the best self swindler going. <laughs> There's no one who talks to you more than you. And you, me, I am my best self swindler, you know, deceiver. And. and yeah, so that's what the scripture teaches. And yeah, it's not some philosophy that we're talking here. It's a scripture truth. For me, it's just a refresher course because uh, I've heard all of it over, over the years and, and just nice to, to go back over it and, and, and refresh in, in, in memory again. Awesome. Yeah. And on that note too, yeah, it, it is a good refresher of, of things that perhaps some of you have known for a long time. I think it's a good opportunity, as I sort of use the analogy, to go over your sort of theological road and find the potholes. Sometimes you're, you don't have a bird's eye view of your road. And so you, you, you're down low and you don't discover them until you've kind of combed through it. But uh, two, I just want to challenge you guys again and again um, to also not be thinking of this as a course, to not be thinking this as a curriculum or a program. Um, the reason I continually ask you guys, you know, how it's impacting you or who you're drawing into to your impactful story or your life story is because this is a process of disciple making and I want you guys to continue to think and pray upon that and, and get God to show you what that's going to look like in your life um, because it may not look like this for you guys, like, you know, the, the, the PowerPoint and all that stuff, but how is God going to um, use you as you um, learn to kind of unpack the word in this way or, or you know, just in bite-sized pieces for those around you to have an impact. Just be, be thinking more about that and, and how we can do more life on life with each other, with those who are in our families and friends and circle of influence. And because if it just stops here at, at this course, then, um, you know, course in quotations, um, then, then it's kind of, it's a one generation thing. And then it kind of dies off. So be thinking and praying for about that as God does impact you. Um, yeah, just a little challenge, heart to heart there, pep talk. So now that you've had plenty of time to think about the review, who wants to volunteer? Um, yeah, with with going through the first uh, row and a half there, first six pictures. Just just the, each picture can be five seconds. You know, just that tells of God and man. <laughs> Brett, awesome. doesn't have to be a five-minute spiel or anything. It can just be a walk through it as you can. So starting with the, um, the prophets and the men of God, they were inspired directly by God to write down what he had to write. So it is God's direct word. It's the truth. And we see in creation it's God's order and design and how Yeah, just 
primarily for a relationship with him and that God bless him even more with creating me to be a helper to Adam. And um, yeah, Lucifer being the most powerful spiritual being, and his pride, he was he was blinded and he wanted to desire God's position. But then um God kicked him and his followers into heaven and he disgraced him. Thanks, Brad. Round of applause, everybody. That was yeah. a step of bravery there. Does anybody want to add anything more that, that they felt is necessary for about the character of God through these events? That was really good, Brad. And on the spot, especially when I put a little pressure of time on you, it gets harder. The one thing that came to my mind is you mentioned uh, Lucifer kicked out in disgrace because he rebelled. It's a great place to be mentioned, God's holiness, that he will not share his, his ownership, his rule, his, his authority. And, and in that pride, he, he didn't want that, um, it, or sorry, in the pride that was there, his holiness wouldn't allow for uh, Satan to remain. So there was his justice that played out. So just the thought of his holiness, uh, his ownership, and his justice. I was thinking of those few things at that point. But yeah, really good. So does anybody want to just quickly touch on our last lesson, kind of what was most notable or what was most memorable? Maybe to start off with the hook. You guys remember the hook? <laughs> God's G. God's, and then it would start with a J, and then God's promise. Yeah. Yeah, God's judgment and God's, yeah, promise deliver. Yeah. So that, that's where we left off. What was most notable or memorable um, last week to you guys as we talked through the judgment? We talked, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> that. Okay, yeah, that's huge. Huge difference, yeah. How about anybody else? Well, also the same thing. Instead of kicking them out immediately, he came down and asked where he engaged in conversation, asked where they were, and gave them an opportunity for dialogue, and then that's when the blame stuff came out. But, um, but that also was an example of his grace and mercy to us. But then he cursed Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in that promise of the deliverer, there is a whole bunch of where we see God's grace in time, in this in the questioning, in the in the not instantaneous banishment that you know Lucifer basically got. Yeah. 
there were there was consequences as you talked of the curse uh, on, on the land and, and on the people so yeah there was still a curse there was that that perfect relationship was now disintegrated um, and there's going to be separation um, from the garden that we're going to get into today um, and we're going to see how that's trickled down and not all the way but just we're going to start to tease that apart um, so yeah, this was just our little encapsulation of last time. Judgment deliver. God reached out in mercy and grace. Nailed it, you guys. He promised to deliver. Um, and this is what they got. So God does, he talks of punishment. And, and um, for a person to step in right at this point of this of establishing, to see that, to see God punishes, it would be a hard, hard one to take. You know, when you think of what we've done so far, talking of God's love and grace and mercy and provision and faithfulness, through these pictures, now that we're here, it makes sense, right? So there's a rhyme and reason to the order of our teaching and the order of God's word. We believe, you know, in the foundational approach for this reason. If I were just to come in and say, you know, Andrew, God's going to punish that smoking habit of yours and, oh man, just you wait, like, you know... (laughs) You'd be like, what? who is this tyrant of a God that you serve? And you call yourself a Christian, you think I should follow? There's a rhyme and reason to the way the word is laid out and why we're studying it even in this group this way. But we can come to this and knowing that even though God punishes sin, we can apply it with the backdrop of all of this, that he, he's the owner and he cares, he loves, he's gracious, he's merciful. So something else just to keep in your mind as you guys talk about the word and as you teach other people, there's a rhyme and reason to why the word is even bound together in its books as it is, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so as we dive into this, remember all of who God is. That we're diving into the punishment, but we also know that God is loving and just and holy, and so he's going to hold these things in perfect tension that none of us could ever do. <laughs> we can be totally angry and sin. We can be you know, loving and then not just, you know, but God is hold- going to hold it together here perfectly as he will be faithful in all things. <clears throat> So yeah, like there, there had to be a payment. We talked last week of a, of a sin debt. We, we brought in the, that tribal uh, debt payment uh, invoice system uh, with Adam and Eve here and their sin debt ropes. And um, because they made the choice to disobey God, we, they, we gave them this one, or they gave themselves, this one knot, this one debt payment against God. And this is enough to doom them to a lake of fire in, in eternity forever, right? And, uh, but... God, in his grace and mercy, as we saw, didn't do that immediately, but that's where they stand. There's a payment due. They don't have the answers. They are so finite in their thinking, and they're just thinking, dang, we're going to need some help. (laughs) We're going to need some help here. So God isn't going to violate his character here. He's not going to be unjust in order to, you know, take care of his image bearers at this point. He can't violate his characteristics at any time. So his love cannot trump his holiness, which a lot of groups today would say, I think it does. I think his love does trump his holiness. They may not say it as such, but in practice, it comes out as such. That is not the God of the word that I know. He holds these things in perfect tension. and He resolves them perfectly. What was the penalty that God demanded for every sin? Death. Death. Yeah. And that was what kinds of death and what, what did that look like? Total separation, Total separation, yeah. For a time, and then you paid it off and you're good again? Forever. Forever. Where? 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's for just one sin. Just one sin would, would be deserving of that. <clears throat> that's, again, this isn't displaying God's tyranny, or is that the, am I using that right? It's displaying, like, His holiness. He is that holy. He is that holy and perfect that just one sin is an offense to Him. So his, his holiness, his honor has been violated as Adam and Eve disobeyed the one thing that he asked them not to do. So there's going to be consequences. There's going to be a debt, as, we, as we've established. There's going to be a payment. But there's nothing that Adam and Eve can offer that is going to pay fully enough. Because even, etern- even Lake of Fire, there's no length of time there that will render that payment paid. <clears throat> so here they stand, just on the path destined for punishment. They can't help themselves. Put yourself in their shoes. What would you think? What would your answer be? Yeah. Yeah, right. Kind of like busying themselves, like, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> what can I do here? Cover up. Guilt, shame we got going on here. Yeah, I mean, they were just scrambling for something, gra- grasping at straws, I guess you could say. But it, it, basically, they were hopeless to their knowledge at this point. They were hopeless. I'm, I'm backing just a little bit before the promise deliver of last lesson. They're just standing there thinking, great, now what? But that one hope that God offered was what we talked of last week, the deliverer. That he would send the deliverer to remove their sin debt by providing payment for it in full and thereby making the one and only way to restore that relationship with him again. So as we dive into this lesson tonight, this is where Adam and Eve are standing currently, cut off from God forever, ruled by Satan who seeks to destroy them, sinners against God and ruled by sin in all of life. They've got this sin debt against God and they're under his wrath. They're relying now on their own abilities. Their bodies are dying, so we talked of their physical death. They've been immediately spiritually killed, in a sense, through their decision. They're now ruled by shame and fear, which we see by their actions, covering themselves up with the fig leaves. Spirit and soul will go on to the lake of fire if, if left as, as they are right now. And then they're ruled by the pride and refusal to admit their sin, as we saw in the blame game, you know, saying that they're able to be their own strength, wisdom, uh, have the final say. Then that places them under the punishment of God, and if they're under the punishment of God and they're violating God, then they're in whose camp? Satan's camp. This is a hard one for even myself to always say it so clearly, but there are two camps and none other. God's or the adversary. You're either with God or against God. There is no in-between. A lot of people like to think there's an in-between. I'm not really an enemy of God, but I'm not really like his friend. No, that doesn't exist. If you're not his friend, you're his enemy. Mm-hmm. Which is Satan's 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it's exactly what it's being telling us played out. Yeah, deceived, not knowing. You're not generally. You're not. Uh, what's the word? A, a self-aware, deceived person. <laughs> you know what I mean. Hence the name, deceived. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be deceived. <laughs> You'd just be an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what you're saying, eh? Did I hear you right? Um, so when God comes down and asks them these questions, what, what, are we, what are we seeing of God? Why would he bother? I mean, we identified love and grace, yes, but in terms of their relationship. Yeah, so I mean, he still is displaying himself as the one in charge, the ruler here, and he's initiating, he's, he's pursuing. And we're going to see that time and again. God is pursuing the relationship um, and providing. He's still providing the air that they're breathing, the life that they're living, even though it's dwindling. He's still sustaining and providing, isn't he? And he's pursuing. So we're going to just unpack more of, more of God pursuing them in this lesson and... Um, and that even though he's loving and gracious, Adam and Eve aren't getting off the hook uh, just, what's the word, willy-nilly, <laughs> so to speak, scot-free. But yeah, so let's unpack that. The hook tonight is uh, all people are helpless sinners. And when I'm saying this, I'm, I'm meaning self-helpless sinners. <laughs> Does that make sense? We can't help ourselves. Yeah. So at this point in time, from their vantage point, they're helpless. <laughs> um, and again, if there's other truths that pop out to you, please speak, speak of them as they come to your mind tonight. So even though they were helpless sinners, God was, wasn't sending them to the lake of fire immediately. He had promised to deliver, so they had something to hope for. And it wasn't in their hope that they had hope. You know what I mean? I can, I can hope that somebody's going to come and visit me with you know, a delicious treat this Christmas, but... That's hope in humanity. And like, you know, the expression goes, don't get my hopes up because you don't want your hopes dashed. This hope is in a faithful, purposeful, orderly, perfect God. So you're putting your hope in the deliverer is putting your hope in a sure thing because of the character of the one that you're putting it in. In our Advent lesson that we had on hope, it talks about hope isn't optimism. Right. Things will go well, but it's hope that things are going to be brought back restored. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not optimistic thinking, it's just if I hope it right and I'm super positive, it's going to come out okay. It's, yeah, it's optimism that God will restore things as he promises. That's right. So yeah, so now God, there's going to be a degree of God's justice as we, as he declared some practical punishment as they come to the end of their chapter, so to speak, in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> Let's go to Genesis uh, 3, 16. Um, if you don't have your Bibles with you, I also have it on the projector here tonight. Genesis 
So just the one verse there. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. All right, let's tease this apart. How did God punish Eve? Yeah, yeah, pains during childbearing. Yeah, severe. No spinal taps in the garden. <laughs> Even that hurts, yeah, no kidding. Into your spine. What else? Yeah, this, there's this thing here, this word desire will be for your husband. And then he said, rule over you. There's a selfishness of the ruling now because they acted in selfishness at the disobedience of, uh, of the fruit that was pleasing to eat, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's a selfishness there. So yeah, the, the, the relationship is going to be selfish-driven, selfishly driven. And then yeah, this desire, this longing. And I don't know if there's a tie-in here, but it has been a wonder in my mind as I read that part of the verse. And I think of women who are in far from ideal relationships, why they keep coming back. And I know there's a whole lot of psychology and stuff going on there, but I wonder too if it comes back to like, wow, your desire just is always still for that man in your life. You know, it's like jeepers. It, it's strong. Um, there's another perspective on that part of the verse. Um, I was listening to a sermon about it, and before the fall, before they sinned, they would have had healthy desires for each other within their, their relationship because of God created them for each other. Hmm. And so there would have been that um, healthy desire for each other. So when, when he says your desire will be for your husband, that has to mean something else rather than the desire that they had in a godly, healthy way before. And so there are some people who say that that means that the woman's desire would be to be, have like the control and the things that her husband should have, like the role, like exchanging roles. Hmm. So that, I'm not sure if that's 100% true. I'm just saying that it might not just be simple desire because that was good mm -hmm. in the beginning, um, but it had to be something different than that. Yeah, whatever was in harmony in the beginning is now going to be a conflict. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's going to be a tension. Compromising. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also heard like overly enmeshed in a relationship. We know it's just not what else it's not maybe right there in that verse, but what else from her actions initially to eat of that tree, what else do you think is gonna be now? Um, plaguing her, so to speak, in her sin. So we saw, yeah, in the verse, childbearing pain, desire for husband ruling over her.
instantly turn around and be very blunt. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a big one. If they acted selfishly, how could they trust each other? In the midst of this, there's also, along with the promised deliverer, uh, is in order to be a child bearer, you have to live long enough to have a child. (laughs) And so there is a little bit of uh, hope there. Oh, okay, Uh, yes, my yeah there's something coming there's time there's more life yet in a sense what about like looking at it in the reverse direction sorry we're going to say something andrew well, i was just saying what you know whatever leadership role that adam had had he had clearly failed her with but yeah, very if, good. if he was there and, and didn't fight against this um you know, and then to be blamed uh, for it would would uh, it would tick me off anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think embedded in that, I think you're touching on is just she's going to be vulnerable, like towards her husband now, who also is in the same boat as she is, who's going to be acting selfishly. And so yeah, let's look at Adam now. Good job, guys. Um, as we read 17, 18, 19, it says here. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat of your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So I'll give you a little, little start there with the red ink. What's, what's the punishment for Adam? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's sweat of your brow, food. There's these thistles, so there's going to be futility there. Yeah. Yeah. The dust to dust. So yeah. So he was made from the ground, and back to the ground you'll go. Hmm. Yeah. 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 There's a there's an order that's starting to happen again. That's we're continuing to see repetition of who's God going back to? You, Adam, because of you. Yeah, the one that God made first, the one that God made leader of the two. Um, yeah, because of you, the responsibility is going to go back to the the head of the household, so to speak. Right on. And two, he had, of course, physical death. There was spiritual death. Um, something I think that's interesting to note at this point and, um, is there's a couple things that happened before the fall that are still present with us today that sometimes people wouldn't think were pre-fall. What are they? Toil, work. Work? Yeah, that's one. What's the other one? Having children. Well, pre-fall. Yeah, but they were commanded to have children. Sure, sure. So what, let's back up the, the chronology of having children then. 
<laughs> the timeline. Marriage no. is what I'm trying to get at. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the command still stands. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So the two things, yeah, that does. The two things I'm getting at is work and marriage. Um, and of course, within marriage, there are children. And yeah, sometimes I think people look at work particularly like, it's, like it is a curse. I mean, yes, the work has gotten, as you said, there's a toil to it. Um, but work was pre-fall. Name the animals. Tend the garden, God told Adam. Um, and then marriage. That, that was the first example of marriage was Adam and Eve between a man and a woman. And uh, sometimes people look at marriage today or, or even just you know, a committed relationship today as, uh, as not that pleasant, as not a, a great thing. But it is one of the things that God has made. Cool. How do we know that uh, today that God followed through with this punishment and didn't just give an empty threat? What do we see in our world today? Well, man, if you've ever tried to grow something, you'll know that. <laughs> <laughs> or done any work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Talk to a farmer. That's why they have insurance. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon, Judy? Thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles, yeah. And it hurts to have kids. Hurts to have kids. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> how, are, how are marriages today in the world? Yeah, not as good as they should be. Yeah, not as good as they should be. Uh, Everyone's died. Except yeah. Us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We see we see consequences of sin are significant. We see it playing out today, and it, and it's still lasting. So these are truths. The one thing that these truths can do for us today that I just want to mention is, is confirm the certainty of the next part of God's judgment for each of us when we die in a broken relationship with God an attorney in the lake of fire from God. Not a great thing to be assured of. However, it can also assure us of God's promise to send a deliverer. He's faithful in all things, not just some. So we see God's goodness still. And we're going to just continue to see that as we go along here. Uh, Genesis 3.20. It's interesting, the next thing that's recorded in the Bible here. Well, that's the, uh, you want to see? Things we experience today because of the curse. What was that? Oh, no, it could, either that or it could be like a state parenthetical, like the other part. Let's read this one together. It's nice and short. So it's Genesis 3.20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Cool. Why did Adam call his wife Eve? She'd be the mother of all living. So this would also mean that Adam is going to be the first father of all people as well. So that's our ancestors. We've been talking earlier about our cousins, that, you know, everyone's our cousin. Um, and these are Adam and Eve, are our ancient parents. Um, if you want to flip with me to Acts 17.26, and then we're going to be in Romans for a verse as well. Acts 17.26. Somebody read that one verse for me, Acts 17, 26. From one man who created all the nations throughout the world, 
throughout the whole earth is that beforehand when they should rise and fall and determine their boundaries. So there you go again. From one man, he made all the nations. From Adam. So again, because of you, it said earlier there, with the blame, God went to Adam. Here, we are again going to Adam because from one man, he, God, made all the nations. So that's every man, woman, child, nation, race, language, from Adam and Eve. And God's talking, descended from Adam, is who he's pointing it specifically to. Eve is the mother of all living, but here in the New Testament, we're seeing from one man. It's going back to the man. Um, this was God's plan, and he determined uh, the boundaries of humanity, all of these things that proceeded. Let's go to Romans 5.12. Just to continue to hold up the authority of the word that, that we did come from these parents. I'm not just telling you this. This isn't just my theory. <clears throat> Romans 5.12. Who has that one? Perfect, yeah. Sin entered through Adam, spread to everyone, like a disease. Why has death passed every man, woman, and child from the beginning of time? Put it in your words. Because we inherited the sin nature of our forefathers. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a grand inheritance. What an inheritance to receive. We've descended from him means we're born into the same curse. Uh, The curse is a sinful nature, which grants us a sin debt and all of its related consequences. Um, And that corrupt nature, being born sinners, drives us to sin further um, so that we all end up in the same same boat with uh, the sin debt. Sinners and we sin. You guys are a pretty smart group, but, you know, I thought I'd treat you to this illustration. We had this bottle that was originally clean and pure. Adam, God breathed life into him, so we filled it with clean water. He sinned, we put the molasses in here, now he's corrupt, everything in his word, thought, and deed. So now, any descendant from, jeepers, any descendant from Adam and Eve, it's just gonna be the same thing, it's just reproducing the same thing, and of course Adam doesn't empty out, but just as it passes along, and imagine this is just an oil, oily slurry instead of molasses, just the same, the next human would also be coated in this same sin-corrupt body. It's just going to go on and on and on in the same way. Descendants of Adam. Any questions? That's kind of, it's a, bit, it's a hard one to grab there. The bottle's the bottle. No, I'm teasing with you a little bit. But that, that's the seriousness of it, eh? It is the seriousness of it. Okay, where are we? One thing, and I debated talking about this one with you guys tonight, this isn't proof necessarily, but it's an example. When you think of children and the complexities of, say, lying, that's a sin, lying is a sin. Um, a kid is never, never taught to lie. A kid instantly knows how to be a deceiver, how to you know, pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Um, to me, that, that just further backs up what is more, what is our source, the word is telling us we're all descendants of Adam and therefore born as sinners. That's just an example to say, yeah, for sure, that I'm definitely seeing that in practice, you know. So 
So again, I share that not because saying, there, that's proof, just a play out of the proof in the source of the word. And so remember that God keeps a record of each and every sin. So we marked with Adam and Eve just this one knot, but they're, they're going to sin again and again. They're going to act selfishly. They've, they're going to have selfish motives. They're going to, whatever happens in the rest of Adam and Eve's life. So I want to continue to draw out this illustration further with you guys. Not that one, the bottle one, but the rope one. Can you just grab a rope and pass it on? So you guys are actually going to each get your, get a, a rope. Yeah, I know, right? Actually, can you just dip it in this molasses for me? I've got a few shorter ones if any, are, any of those are too long for anybody. I need, I need a longer one. Yeah, I'm not sure I can fit all mine on here. I don't, yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know what our plan is. I thought we were supposed to go inside of this anyway. Yeah. It's all good. Don't, don't you worry. Don't you guys look too far into this illustration yet. Just you take it one step at a time with me, all right? I'm going to get one for myself. All right, maybe there's enough. I think there might be enough. Might be enough? I cut. Yeah, I cut. Awesome. Hey, you get three. <laughs> I want one. No, I don't want one. Thanks. So, yeah, you guys aren't just these like clean corpses that God made from the dust. So slap your, your acknowledgement of being a descendant from Adam by just put your one knot in there. Yeah. No, we're not going to, we're not doing that yet. Just you wait. <laughs> so here we are. We too have a sin debt record before God. We're descendants from Adam, and so this is where we are as well. And if you'd like, and maybe a reminder, or maybe as even an outreach opportunity for you, um, tie it on your wrist if you dare, and wear it for the winter if you choose, or keep it in your pocket, or something to that effect. Don't have to. Um, I'll try and keep it on until it crawls off. <laughs> yeah, it could get pretty yucky. Maybe you just want to like, you know, tie it in your hair or something like that. Anyways, you don't have to. It's just... It's, a, it's an option. Um, yeah, so there you go. You got your Sindat. Wear that around. If you choose, keep it in your pocket. Tie it on your purse. I don't know. Just put it somewhere you're going to see it every day. Even it... Oh, there you go. Yeah, right? Every time you push a button, you're pushing on your sin. Um, and yeah, just be even it's a practical thing to, you know, ask Jenny tonight, why do you have that silly thing on your phone or whatever, right? Like, it, it's an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I could have told you that. <laughs> so yeah, so we too, you guys, we're, we too are born separated, right? We are born separated from God. Some people have this idea that we're born perfect and we, and we transition towards being sinners. No, we're born separated from God. We, we are actually born ruled by King Satan under God's impending wrath. Yeah, that baby looks innocent, but they're born with that inherited sin nature. So our bodies are born dying, left to our own, we're appointed for an eternity in a lake of fire forever. So us, along with all of humanity, this is where we stand, unable to help ourselves. There is no self-help book. There is no, like, heaven for dummies or whatever you want to call it. We are born in a seemingly hopeless and truly sinful condition. This is what we have, death and Adam, cut off from God forever, ruled by, ruled by our sin, relying on our abilities, blinded by fear and, and pride, enemies of God. What do you think about that? It's not easy being totally depraved. <laughs> it's not easy. But this is where we stand. 
So we're going to go into a, a third part for tonight. Um, back in Genesis 3-7, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They realized they were naked, tried to cover themselves with the clothing of fig leaves. We, we did teach on this last week, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, hopefully, here. I hope I can kind of go through this a little quicker with you guys. Um, do I have that verse up here? Yes, I do. So back in Genesis, make sure I don't have any typos if you want to go there with your own Bibles. Genesis 3-7 is saying, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What futile decision was this in their good and evil thinking? They thought that this would cover the guilt, would, would deal with their shame. They're grasping at straws. It seems like they were trying to make themselves acceptable. They didn't know the answer. This is proving that they were helpless. They were hoping that what they felt inside would be dealt with by dealing what was, by covering something up on the outside. So what was wrong on the inside, they thought they could fix by something externally. Cover their nakedness. So yeah, their physical covering was dealt with, but in the true deep sense, their souls, that shame was still undealt with of that, that depth of emptiness, that brokenness, the separation from God. So after proclaiming the curse on the serpent and on Adam and Eve, we'll, we'll read what God does for Adam and Eve in uh, verse 21. Actually, let's read this one on the board as well together. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. All right, big step here now. We have a picture here of this lamb or animal that was, uh, the lamb is artistic rendition or artistic interpretation, I should say. Um, but yeah, an animal, they're covered with, with the skin of the animal. Um, there is a whole lot of dogma that can come out of this picture right now. <clears throat> Even the fact that that's a lamb right there. <laughs> so I'm not going to, let's just pretend that's just an animal because I don't want to uh, superimpose what we know on the rest of the word at this point in time. Let's just look at it for what it is. How did God respond to Adam and Eve's fig leaf covering? Their clothing, that clothing they tried to make. Yeah. I hear your dogma in your first word there. (laughs) Yeah, he rejected it. And he replaced it with what he decided was acceptable. Why did he reject it? Why, why did God reject the fig leaf covering? <coughs> they were covered. They are covered there. And they're covered here. What's the difference? What does it matter? God, yeah, good job. Exactly. Sometimes people are going to be like, well, it's like God just had like a better covering. Yeah, God decides. Earlier, who decided the fig leaf was adequate or thought it was adequate? Who? Adam and Eve. Man. Here, God did with the, with the skins. So, who came up with the idea of the new clothes? God. Who picked which animal, whatever would be sufficient? God, right? Who killed the animal? Who made the clothing? Who put it on them? Or who, who provided it, sorry, clothed them? God. God 
is the initiator, the starter. He's the pursuer. He is the finisher. God is the initiator and the finisher. So God being the, the owner, the absolute owner and ruler over all creation, acting holy and always lovingly, he's the one that provided what they needed. It was within him to do this, in his holiness. And, uh, and this, it was an animal. Yeah, blood shed, of course. Um, God's provision to cover the, the sin, the shame that they felt and their nakedness required the death of an animal. Adam and Eve wouldn't have known all of the maybe theological complexities at play here right now, I'm sure. But what they saw, death took place. They knew they sinned. They knew they were guilty. And they saw what was now adequate to cover them in a temporal sense for this time being. So this is the first physical death in creation. Imagine, yeah, they, so I think... Uh, Tony, you said earlier she was going to have a child, so she had this idea of a little bit more life. But they were told death would come when they sinned. So what do they see here? Death. They, they, they witness it. What do you think that would have felt like? You just, you're in, yeah, horrible. You've never seen something, like here you've had all these animals walk past you, Adam did, and he's naming them. You know that nothing is killing anything at this point in time. And then you see that. You see something, just, you see the, the lifeblood Go out of it. Life stopped. That'd be horrific. Think of a kid that sees their first kitten die. You know, they live on a farm. Like that, that would be magnified. I couldn't imagine to what degree. So this was going to be a daily reminder. Just think of it. You're walking around with, with whatever this fur leather on yourself. Can you, can you shake? Thinking about it. It's like, it's like a spouse maybe that passes away and you wear a ring. It's a reminder of something that you had. And now here, this is a reminder too of what they had and what it now is costing them too. It's going to be important as we go forward um, that, that this whole death idea to cover uh, the consequence of sin is going to be unfolding, as you well know, as we go farther in the Word. It's, of course, a foreshadowing of something that God is going to continue to reveal an important, and an important truth connected to the Deliverer. Um, so yeah, this is, this is as you said, it, it originated within God. God initiated it. God provided it. God approved it. God provided the covering. He was the one offering a degree of restored relationship. Um, so, in a sense, this is what he saw, and now God is going to cover it over with what he provides. Um, we have, where did I put that? Going forward with our, with our sin debt straws, and I gotta, maybe need some tape. So, I have, I have a couple straws here, and these red stripes are just coincidental, truthfully. <laughs> I did not go looking for straws with the red stripes. So, anyways, they're just straws. Don't think much about the color and stuff. But... Um, by them being, putting the clothes on that God provided, it, it did offer a temporal covering. Come on, you're going to go in. Can I have a Vanna White to do the other one here for me? Uh, anybody? Come on, who can cover up the next one for me? <laughs> Come on, Andrew. Can you just try and get that basically on there and then this one for the other one too? 
or if you have a better system of doing it. Oh, I don't know. This is tricky. We'll clear our If you want a couple pieces of it. Here, let me try this one. If you want those for oh, to hold them on. the straw after, yeah. It'll get there eventually. So, <laughs> exactly. So this is the, the illustration we're going to use going forward that God demands death and eternal separation. He uses an animal here to cover Adam and Eve. So this is what Adam and Eve chose to put, to put it on. <laughs> Do I need to let this spin? Yeah. Good job. Got one. All right. Everyone ignore him while he does the second one. So it doesn't say that, sometimes people say that God put the clothing on Adam and Eve. It's saying here that God clothed them by providing the clothing, by providing the covering. um, And that the scripture, here, let me get there. 3, 20, 21. Where have I seen this here? You got it? Yeah, well, as long as it's there. This, anyways, the perception I have from this of God, God providing it, they still had to dress themselves. They, in it, so in my mind, that is the idea that they had trusted in God's provision of the covering. Am I, am I sounding heretical there? Does that sound good to you guys? Then Adam and the ardent wife Eve, she would be the mother of all living, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins, for Adam and his wife. Why does it he clothed? He clothed them. I'm running off on a tangent here, but I feel like I had settled this once upon a time. But Let me come back to you on that one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if we don't, I don't think the text actually tells us that detail. That's right. How we interpret he clothed them. But my question would be, well, what difference would it make? Because if he, if he put it on them himself, or if they, he gave it to them and they put it on themselves, both of those are them accepting his covering. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I, got, I guess I always envision it that, that God, you know, yeah, and it's, maybe this is nomenclature or whatever, but that God, in a sense, here it is. They said, we believe you. Mm. We're put, you know, that, that's just the way I imagine it. But uh, that could just be my own <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> Anyways, let's get back to that one later, because <laughs> I, feel, I feel that I, yeah, I don't have it tied to the word here right now, but um, anyways, they, wearing it, having it, was, they're putting their hope in what God was, was saying, this is adequate, this is sufficient, um, as a temporal, temporal covering and a foreshadowing, we know, of what's to come. Um, so again, God was ultimately going to deal with, with sin, with the deliverer. This was a, an interim, so to speak. Yeah, sorry, catching up on myself here. That's actually interesting too when you think about he said you will surely die, but they didn't die. But just looking at that picture, they had to see death. That was the first death that they saw. Yeah, the first physical death that they saw. They they did experience immediate spiritual death. Um, and they were going to be, they probably didn't feel the effects of the physical dying yet unless they woke up the next morning stiff, I'm not sure. But, 
But yeah, in terms of physical death, you're right. That's the first physical death they witnessed was with that animal. Yeah. So again, we're seeing God's grace and mercy here. He didn't have to provide a covering. He didn't have to give, again, this promise more time. But he gave them, again, what they did not deserve. That was his grace. Um, he did not punish them in, this, in the fullest sense of a lake of eternity, a uh, lake of fire for eternity, and that was his mercy. Um, let's read Genesis 20, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Who has that one wants to read it for us? Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Thanks, Tony. So who's God talking to in these verses? Let us. Each other. <laughs> yeah. What did we learn here early on? Yeah, within himself, right? Trinity, the triune God. Exactly. God, the triune holy God, is the one that Adam and Eve has offended greatly. When Adam and Eve were perfect and sinless, they depended on God to tell them what was right, what was wrong, uh, in every decision. But this changed now, as we know. So they know now, in a sense, the difference between good and evil, but imperfectly, not perfect as God did. And their experience of evil, they're, they're going to now experience this bondage, this bondage to sin, this bondage to Satan. Janelle, you have something to say. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll dive into that a little bit here as well. Yeah. Just to me, I mean, it doesn't explicitly say that, but it kind of leaves that question mark. Sure. Maybe they never even went for the good stuff that God was offering. They went straight for the one that he said to stay away from. Well, I think the tempter didn't waste any time. Yeah. That's the big thing that comes to my mind. I don't think he was like, yeah, I'll let them enjoy the goodness of God for a while. And then he was probably like ticked. I'm dealing with God's image bearers right now, as fast as I can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there, and so I think the principle that you're talking to is we don't want to spend a whole lot of time thinking about what the scripture isn't saying, or, or it doesn't address directly, um, like the speculative, but let's, let's focus on what it is saying. Um, yeah, it's fun to contemplate, and we'll do a bit of that even with the tree and the sword here tonight. But um, I, th- I think as we see them kicked out here, it's saying right here, like, lest they live forever. So why wouldn't God let them, wouldn't allow them to eat of the tree of life? They would stay in their sinful state perhaps forever. So there is an act of grace happening again in, in the play out of them to d- coming to a closure in their life, so to speak. There is, there is an aspect of grace coming out here that they wouldn't just self-perpetuate in their sin, living physically forever and ever and ever. And, and just magnifying, I have this picture of it getting just desperately wicked, you know. If they ate of that tree of life, they would remain in their pitiful, sinful state. There would be no hope. There'd be no change. It'd be just this perpetual, sinful state forever. 
Um, in 24 there, what does, it, what does it say here next? After sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and, placed, and he, he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Boom. There we have a cherubim represented with that angel person-looking figure on the right, and then the sword. And here we see Adam and Eve coming out banished from the Garden of Eden, faces somber, sullen, fallen. This is what God just did. Put this, this cherub to guard the entry with a flaming sword to the Tree of Life into Eden. Um, He placed on the east side of the garden. If you want to do an interesting little side note here, study on east, they going to the east and coming back from the east, it's, it's uh, kind of an interesting thing to, to do on your own time. <laughs> Not on my time. <laughs> it's all good. But yeah, so to the east he drove them um, and the sword there. What, what do you guys think the sword is symbolic of at this point? Flashing back and forth, it says. To guard, uh, yeah, it's guarding the way of tree of life. But what is it? What do you think it's symbolic of? Death, judgment. Yeah, you're seeing a connection, connectedness there. The fire. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Something to be, something to be afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think those are good thoughts. The, like the wrath, the justice. That something had to be done in His holiness. There had to be justice. There was wrath. There was punishment. And that's all, I think, wrapped up with what we're seeing in the sword there. Um, I got from a site online, a Blue Letter Bible. You guys ever use that? Yeah. It says, um, they have there, the flaming sword going in every direction speaks of the wrath of God that will hit everything in its path. Nothing can escape it, is a statement they make. How about the cherubim? What do you guys see it symbolic of? Or So a mighty angel. Yeah, that's right, in the ark, yeah. Very good. Yeah, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, also from the Blue Letter Bible, I pulled this. A couple, a couple possible, possible symbolisms or reasons. It could remind Adam and Eve of what they had lost. Another reminder just like the, the skin clothing was, or the, the animal clothing. It would also rid them of the notion that the continued eating of the tree of life would somehow perpetuate their lives or help in their redemption. And then another one they, they suggest is, it's also possible that the guard uh, could have been placed there to keep humankind from eating of the tree of life and remaining living forever in their sin. <clears throat> so yeah, and God in his mercy, he begins to prepare a way for human, humankind's return to a perfect world. The plan is set in motion. Um, there's no way that Adam and Eve could ever get back to the garden. 
Um, indeed, we see an act of God's merciful grace as he drove them out from the garden and banished them. Um, it is interesting. I, I, for me, whatever reason, that word drove um, kind of hangs, hangs in my head. I don't know if it does for you guys. You think of like a, a, a sheepdog that drives, drives a, a flock of sheep. Like this wasn't uh, half-hearted. God knew that they needed to be out in his justice. Yeah, yeah. And there's, I think, notice a similarity here between Adam and Eve and Satan. It says uh, in, our, in one of the materials that we used to develop this from, established, called Building on Firm Foundations, we have written, uh, when Satan sinned, God put him out of his wonderful position of heaven. After Adam and Eve sinned, God put them out of the garden. God doesn't ask what, anyone what he should do. He is supreme. He hates sin and will always punish those who rebel against him. Because yeah. Yeah. In, in his holiness, he can't, they can't be in his presence. That's right. And I think, yeah, Janelle touched on that beautifully with the cherubim. They could represent as a, on the ark, as we know, his presence. Awesome. Um, so we have a picture here of, uh, of this bridge. Man, humanity on one side. God, his presence uh, in unity on the other side. Um, how do we know, again, going back to the, 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 the picture there, here, with them wearing a greenery, how do we know that Adam and Eve, uh, in a sense, were refusing to, to accept their helpless state before God? And you think of this, the bridging. They're, they're trying to still build a bridge within themselves to get to God by covering their nakedness, nakedness, and we know that it wasn't successful because God declined it, rejected it, and gave them something appropriate. So they weren't successful. And so it just brings us to a point, again, if we're going to look at stuff that's um, outside of the word, outside of what God has outlined, if it's originating within ourselves or if it's originating within Adam and Eve, it, it, the idea to bridge that gap will never satisfy, will, or not satisfy, it will never get you there. They're unable to adequately help themselves. And we see, did God abandon them? No, he pursued them yet again. He continues to pursue relationship, even when they don't deserve it. How many ways did he provide? What was he telling us at this point? Like, what was the hope? Was the hope, was there many hopes? Was there one hope? hope of the one deliverer, the deliverer. Yeah, so there was the one way for them to hope in the in total delivery, and there was also the one covering of the, of the animal skins. So God was going to be the provider again and again to restore the relationship through the covering and then through the deliverer ultimately. Um, let's just go a little, little bit deeper on this here. Um, how do we see evidence of the, of the curse and consequence of our, in our world today. We talked of, um, uh, you know, the childbearing kind of things that exactly what was told to Adam and Eve, but what do you see played out today? What's happening in politics? What's happening in world affairs? We're always trying something new. 
Yeah. Always trying something new on the way to God. And we think that by certain policies or certain initiatives that we will be able to make things better and make things mm-hmm. good for humans. Yeah. 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 And, and, and not only with the bridging, there's also things with the reality of the curse that we're always trying to patch up. Think of, think of fertilizer, like, so the ground is cursed and weeds. Think of fertilizers, think of pesticides. That wasn't the way of the, of the garden. Um, yeah, protocols, government, you know, different assistance to bridge the gap of, of the fallen, cursed world that we live in. Um, how about with, with ourselves individually in terms of our physicalness? What about lotions and potions and magics and, you know, how many times can you go to the spa to look younger and, exercise. yeah, yeah, exercise of the devil. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Songs that claim forever young, you know, things that just push against and, you know, anti-age deterioration, live forever, the eternal cup, whatever, whatever, right? Plastic surgery. Plastic surgery yeah. Tucks, lifts, squeezes, whatever. I don't know all those <laughs> things that are out there but there's things that people try to reverse the effects of the curse yeah i'm sure it's out there how successful are these are these things <laughs> let's talk about the two avenues of success financially very successful yes they make a lot of money on that yeah yeah but how effective in, in the outcome, in the long-term outcome? Yeah, everyone still dies. Exactly. It hasn't, yeah, things haven't gotten better permanently. Yeah, like technology and science can, can temporarily help things. Yes, we have chemotherapy that can reverse some of the effects of cancer, which is part of the curse, I believe. Um, yeah, we have medications and stuff that can prolong life. But there is no ultimate answer within man. There's nothing we can come up with that will ultimately solve it, right? The best we can do is improve things in the world around us, but it will never measure up to the original garden that God had for Adam and Eve. Um, and you know, no matter how many tools I buy, <laughs> it's still toil. Yeah. Yeah. Never gets all the way easier, right? You can have that little vacuum machine that sucks up your sawdust as you cut. But you still got more mess. You still got. <laughs> so yeah, so here we stand in the mix of it all. We've inherited Adam's sin nature. We're in the physical consequences in, uh, of sin, of the fallen world. There's sickness, there's disease, there's, there's you know, you think of, uh, yeah, all the, all the things on plants that grow, fungus and infestation and uh, plagues. How does that make you guys feel? I mean, we, we, we're kind of the frog in the frying pan. We, we've grown up with it, so it's like just reality, I guess. But when you look back to what the intended, or where it began, I should say, how does that make you feel? Yeah. How good it really was. It's really, yeah. Sure, fair enough. Look backwards, so I kind of just look forward. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that somehow. Yeah. Back 
Sure. Yeah, her, horrific. Yeah, we're born under the rule of Satan. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying as our as ultimate ruler or as ultimate king. I'm saying all lowercase, you know, limited. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Right. So as we think of Adam and Eve and their attempts to come up with an idea within themselves to make them acceptable before God, which was rejected, we just I have kept this, this chasm picture up here with people on one side, God on the other. Um, you know, everything's, everything on man's attempt that they're trying to get across this chasm is crumbling and falling into the abyss, so to speak. Um, it doesn't really matter. Like I've, I've heard it said, like, you know, if you're, like, if you're a super athlete, you know, you might be able to get like halfway across, uh, but like there's still a chasm. Or you might just be like, you know, whatever, just Joe Blow and just barely trickle into there trying to go on your own attempts to God. But either way, there's a chasm and no human can cross that chasm because it requires perfection. And being born in Adam, nobody is perfect. So what are, what are things out there that you guys are building towards God or that you think people try to build towards God. What are these contrary bridges here that you could fill in? I volunteer enough in church and whatnot, like good works. Yeah. Volunteer. Well, that's even worse than on the paper here. <laughs> <coughs> Let's go back to paper. You're not going to get over that chasm on account of your Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, volunteering, serving good works. Yeah. Giving. Yeah. And I'm not saying yes, like that's the right answer or wrong answer. This is you guys. This is what, this is what you see. Religion, yeah. 
but you're touching on in there, like church attendance. Well, well. Trying harder. Being better than some other people. Yeah. Can I write comparing? Yeah. Comparing? But a large chunk of North American society wants to deny the existence of God and the whole evolution aspect is to partially to say that there is a way we can think of things coming to be without God being there. And I think part of that is they don't. They're, they're trying to convince themselves there is no God that I have to be accountable to. Hmm, yeah, so, so it's basically just blocking this chasm altogether, saying it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not there. Yeah, just be moral. Be helpful. The chasm, yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, the, the, the list could go on forever. Customs, like, I mean, there's many things that people could do that we've seen, I'm sure, to bridge it. Yeah, and then I think a lot of ones today that, or a lot of people today, as Tony touched on, is just like there is no chasm. There is no separation. There's no God. So there's no separation. Um, there's no need to do anything. Anything I do is purely because I'm a good person. I'm a ma- yeah, they're, they're pridefully blind. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget the one time when I was with, RBC was doing a, you know, a, a food bank collection thing, putting the bags out and then going around and collecting them after a week or so. And, and uh, we, that year we decided to like staple a verse on it. I can't remember which verse it was, but I remember somebody then wrote on the bag saying, I do this not because, what was it? I do this not because there's a God or because I think I need to do it because the Bible tells me that I need to do this. I do this because I want to and I'm just a human. And I was like, wow, there's a lot (laughs) wrapped up in that statement. And it's like, you know, and I was like, in my heart, I'm like, well, I'm not doing it either because I I need to. I'm not doing this because my God requires it of me. Anyways, didn't have t- didn't have opportunity for that conversation, but the bag was at the end of the driveway. I took it. Thank you. Somebody ate it eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> but but yeah, that's humanism. humanism. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Where do where do all these things lead us today? All all of that in and of themselves. Yeah, not evil as an end in themselves, though. Death. Death. Yeah, we we still have this. Appear, you know, might look insignificant, but, but this sin debt that does indeed lead us to an eternity without God or in his, in his wrath in the lake of fire. Um, Adam and Eve, they have one. We have one. Everyone born has one. Um, as we think of, of this sin debt that we've inherited, what, what, what's said today that we're all born essentially good from birth? Sorry, that was poorly worded. As we, as we consider our sin debt, what does the biblical truth say about this belief that we're, or about the belief that we're all essentially good from birth? Are we? 
we do just a few bad things and God just sweeps it under the rug or there's nobody to sweep it under the rug. It, it just undermines the, the holy God that we truly have and who holds all things together. It, it's a lie. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Do you guys see that God preventing access to the tree of life is both mercy and punishment? It's a cost and a consequence. Remember the story when, when God was showing, when Moses asked God to, to, to reveal himself to him and, and, and God's reply, that's what God said. Yeah, no puts him in the cup. see me and live. Yeah. The glory so, would be so, too great. So he showed him his, his back parts, but not his face. Yeah. No man can see me and live. Totally. So as we think of the Eden, Garden of Eden, and that perfection that once was, it's symbolic of God's perfect provision, what he, what he um, had to offer. The perfect place, the perfect relationship. And as we go forward, looking back and looking forward to what's to come, we interpret all of that as a foreshadowing of something wonderful to come. Um, we know the Deliverer again today, but we know that there's yet more to come still. Um, the plan was in motion. This wasn't God's plan B. This wasn't God's re-scramble. Let's gather up, boys. Let's figure out a plan here. This was the master plan in motion. Uh, the deliverer was promised. God's story is happening. It's his story, history, and now we're part of history today. And this was all of his story from the beginning, all his plan from the beginning. And his greatest plan is the rescue mission, the rescue mission through the deliverer. So we've been hit, you guys, with bad news in, in Lesson 3, Lesson 4, and now 5 with an embedded promise and a curse. Um, we're learning that, or we've, we've settled that we're all from Adam. We're all born sinners, and you guys are an easy crowd to convince that of. But again, as you think of somebody who wouldn't accept that so readily, this is how you get to that point of, of Adam and Eve and, and the authority of the Word and God made it perfect, but there was a fall, there was a choice, and they chose to disobey. They failed the test, so to speak. And that's our ancestor. We've inherited this curse, this DNA sinner curse. So this whole event, I realize you guys probably know this, but in case you don't, it's called the fall. The fall of humanity. And that, that's why we're going to wear this or whatever, have this in your house somewhere, hang it up where you see it by your car keys or something, or put it on your car keys, there's another idea. So it represents our sin debt against God. Thankfully, God, being the pursuer, being the loving, gracious, merciful one, reaches out. And with Adam and Eve, we see that he is desiring to restore the relationship, offering hope, extending mercy and grace with the promise of a deliverer at this point in the narr narrative. But there's still consequences, and we're just going to continue to go through the word and see this continual cycle of, um, of God reaching, man having hope, and we'll just see that pattern dive down and go again. So we experience that. We experience a lot of these consequences today uh, of sin. And, uh, and all the bridging is not going to get us there. Um, there's one hope. There's one way, God's way. If it's within us, the idea is to reach God. It's going to fall short. It's not going to reach God. It's, we've got to come to God His way, one way, through the Deliverer. So uh, do we keep these or do we throw them out? This is always the most stressful part of my night.
Um, something else I want to continue forward with you guys is uh, this chart. So, so we have this. Um, we're going to start a list of names uh, of people of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve up here. Um, I'm going to put your names on this side. Um, and we're just going to, yeah, have those go up until the end of uh, 101. Um, Adam and Eve. They were covered with God, or God provided a covering. And so I'm going to actually put uh, white paper over their names now. And I'll do that if and when and where we see that with other people of the Bible. Um, and we'll see where you end up at the end of 101. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but in all seriousness... <laughs> right. Yeah, me, me putting paper over Adam doesn't determine it where he is today. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And that applies for us too. Um, do you guys have any questions? Is there other, is there other contrast uh, against the truths that we've taught tonight that you want to touch on? Is there other truths that came out in your mind that you're like, oh, he should have really drawn that out further? Well, one thing that's been distracting me the entire, uh, almost the entire time is that Amy said, was wondering why uh, uh, how, well, just saying how actually right after the curse, then that's when Adam named oh, yeah. Eve. And because mm-hmm. before that, her name wasn't Eve, it was woman. Right, yeah. And um, I think there's something to it because... Um, what a verse, can you, you know, get us all there? It's on 320. So he's just heard, like I don't know if this happened right after or anything, but he's heard... The woman just be cursed, but he's also heard the the curse on the serpent, and then he names her Eve, meaning the mother of all living, when they were just given the curse of death, right? So somehow in that name, Adam must have understood that through her somehow, like death, there would be life or there'd be living. And, um, yeah. anyway, it's been distracting. I think, yeah, I've, I've dove in, life giver. I've dove into that before because I've noticed that as well, that, and again, speculative, I'm not going to die on this hill, but I, I wonder if that is a place where we can say Adam places faith in God and in, and in the coming deliverer mm-hmm. because by faith, he named his wife, the mother of all living. Yeah. So he was in, in practice, in my mind saying, I believe you, God. Because she is, she's going to go forward with the promise you've already talked about of this offspring. So, again, I'm not going to die on that hill, but that's kind of where I would say that, yeah, Adam has placed his faith in the coming deliverer. Yeah, I mean, and, and the person who, you know, Moses or wrote this, you know, thought that was a detail that was worth having, right? Yeah. You know, and so, anyway. Well, the reason I brought it up, because I was like, so she didn't have a name up until then? Well, her name was woman, though. Just like Adam's was Adam. man. Adam. 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 Yeah. Because I was just like, wait a minute. Did you not call her anything? Like, what would you call her? Hey, woman. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 But yeah, then it turned derogatory. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. I'm guessing you probably, especially with Noah again, realize he needs, like, it was good to have a helper in order to realize it was good to need a helper and was thankful to God, you know, like, probably more than, like, two minutes. I'm guessing, like, because yeah. like, he had to see all the owls and realize he wasn't like one. Like, they all had pairs. But you, but you know, you, you notice uh, that, that God said God said you needed a helper. He didn't know that he needed a helper. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, that, that's God's goodness that identifying His needs, Adam's needs. So again, I guess as we wrap up, this is, I just want to land your eyes here. This is where God's word calls us to, and this is where I call you guys to, and myself as well, to be in this position of humility where we're saying, Lord God. I am a sinner against you and completely unable to help myself. Adam and Eve were unable to help themselves. There's no self-help books out there that will bridge the chasm between us and God other than what God has promised in his deliverer. So we have a choice. There is, no, there is nothing in between pride and humility here. Either you're blinded by pride, thinking you're going to go your way, or you're saying, God, it's all in you and it's your way alone. There's, there's a choice to be made. And again, I don't, that's between you guys and the Lord. I don't know all of you guys that well. But I just want to remind you, there's a choice to be made to, to be with God in humility, admitting that we are you know, born against him, unable to help ourselves apart from him, or staying blinded in our pride, thinking that we're just fine how we are and we'll make it on our own. Um, yeah, we must decide where we stand, choosing humility or, or pride with Satan. The choice is ours. So yeah, again, many of you guys, we talked last week, you guys know who the Deliverer is. I think a lot of you do. But Adam and Eve didn't. They were putting their hope. They had to humble themselves in what God was saying. They had to have faith, believing that what God said in truth was going to happen and agree with God about their sin too. That they were sinners and helpless and hopeless apart from him. And so this hope was outside themselves. So I just want you guys to hang on to that. So, again, the process is the same with us today. We can humble ourselves, accept the truth, or block it out and say, you know, these, these, these things to bridge, they're going to work for me too. Um, so thanks, guys. Believe in God, trust his word, walk in humility. <laughs> Let him help each of us with the consequences of the curse of the sin. And uh, let him cover us, so to speak, so that we can have a restored relationship with him. Um, I'll wrap us up in prayer. And then, yeah. God, thank you that you are the one who provides the covering. And God, search our hearts and know us. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, we are great swindlers within ourselves. We, we can talk ourselves down from uh, the worst situations where we think we're not so bad. God, I pray we would all move forward in humility, just asking you to show things in our hearts that are, are lies against your truth, um, that are deceptive against your truth and your true light. And Lord, that we would just go forward in greater depth of relationship with you. Lord, if uh, anyone here tonight doesn't know you on your terms, Lord, may you make that evident. And God, as we think of others in our circles of influence, in our community and in communities beyond, Lord, we just do pray for opportunity to shed light, show your truth, and just be faithful with what you ask us to do in the lives of others and just to um, see your kingdom come here on earth, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We are...